Future Friday. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Future Friday with Hamish Hallett and John Beasy. For this week we are speaking about the justice and prison system. So as you know, uh, these kind of two topics have been, been heavily talked about in recent weeks uh, and like from our like last week episode as well, that topic was spoken quite heavily, so like policing. Um, so yeah, we've got these two big topics that we kind of want to talk about today um, on our episode, and um, yeah, massively, massive uh, importance uh, in recent uh, weeks, days, and years. Let's just say that. So, uh, John, my kind of first question to you is kind of what is the current state of the justice and prison system? Well, it will depend on where you are, but uh, a lot of you know justice systems focus on what we call uh, retributive justice. So ones that focus on retribution, an eye, an, eye, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Mm. So ones that focus more on punishment and particularly ones that are modeled as the, the, the punishment is the focus of justice and uh, punishment serve as a deterrence from doing crime. Don't do crime because, you know, do you want to lose? Do you want to lose? Yeah, ten years of your life or whatever. Mm. Where it's not kind of looking at the cause of the actual crime. Exactly. Yeah, it basically yeah. says uh, like, oh, like if, if you don't want to go to jail, don't commit a crime. But it doesn't go and fix like under explore the fundamental reasons why crimes were committed in the first place. Mm. It just takes people that are considered problematic by society and then segregates them from the rest of it. It removes them from society, but it doesn't, you know, fix the problem. Yeah, definitely. It doesn't explore why, uh, you know, people are, you know, doing these things in the first place. Mm. Yeah, that is 100% true. Because I feel like if we look at across the world, different prisons act in different ways. So take the most famous example, US, the way, the way it kind of mass incarcerates its US citizens, um, you know, their prison population is like one of the highest in the world and then behind it is just china as well so they have two similar systems which you've been saying trying to um yeah try and go so basically say to people don't commit a crime we get sent to prison um whereas you could look at the kind of Sc- scandinavian model for example um they actually try and re rehabilitate rehabilitate kind of say that word um, rehabilitate that's it rehabilitate uh prisoners um to then allow them even though they've committed a crime, but then to allow them to then enter back into society, which I think is and it's an interesting way because we see there's there's so much different like complexities between prisons. So it's a different way of looking into it based on what system you are in, which is quite interesting actually. Yeah, well, they have a more, they practice what's more called restorative justice. Mm. So it's meant trying to restore uh, whatever kind of wrongdoing was done so it's like it facilitates meetings between the victim the offender and the community to try to understand why the crime was committed to understand what kind of harm it caused and to create a consensus on how to rectify that wrong Mm. yeah so rather than just like you know someone commits a crime like i don't know someone commits a murder and then they get you know they go to a trial and it's with all these impersonal people who just you know and they morally judge them and then send them away to a, you know, a prison for, for 15 years rather than, you know, them bringing together, um, you know, the, 
the perpetrator with say the victim's family and then talking with them to explore you know the harm that they actually committed to the to those people yeah. and to figure out you know why they even did that in the first place and maybe they might have you know some underlying mental health issues that needed to be addressed and then work to figure out you know what they can do to you know make it right to make it better rather yeah. than just try yeah. to like lock them up it's like so if you like for example and if you take a look at say um recidivism which is the tendency for uh, a prisoner to reoffend norway which has not uh, a more restorative model has a recidivism rate of about 20 percent while the u.s and the uk are each at about 50 uh, 60 and 50 percent uh, respectively oh wow that is yeah huge right because i know the uk has got the biggest prison population actually in europe um i actually was looking into this uh what you just mentioned about the um, restorative justice uh, kind of concept. So the UK actually did a program actually from 2001. Uh, so it's like a seven year research program from 2001 uh, to 2008. So it's like a seven million um, year research program. I was actually looking into free restorative justice schemes. So through the Connect, the Justice Research uh, Constituent, or JRC, and Remedy, I believe it is. Now, according to this one paper, it found those, the majority of the victims chose to participate in a face-to-face -face meeting with uh, the offender, and it found 85% of those victims were sat satisfied by the process. So in that sense, it definitely shows that a lot of people are have a lot of positive views towards this way of thinking, a way of system towards justice. And also, when you were talking about the reoffending, it found that reoffending was reduced by 27%. So that means 27% less crime, 27% fewer victims. So yeah, it, de it definitely shows the evidence backing up where we are using this type of justice. That reoffending is going down rather than going up. Um, I know a lot of major countries actually are looking towards this step rather than going towards like going towards this type of justice. Actually, so I know the US is starting to look into it. Obviously, it's not fully um, like the Scandinavian system. So I think it'll be interesting to look into the next few years to see if this kind of system takes place in other countries other than Scandinavia. Well, it's been a, uh, a long process in the making. It's not like Scandinavia, like, there you go, oh, yeah, you sure, have restorative yeah. justice. You know, these, and, you know, Canada has been slowly, you know, making reforms and introducing greater um, measures uh, for restorative justice and particularly for um, for indigenous communities as a lot of indigenous communities and First Nations have their um, their traditional legal systems are based in more you know restorative models and so right. trying to help yeah. them try to you know take some legal autonomy and try to you know work out their own justice systems and work it out mm -hmm. themselves and so they try to uh, move it around that way. You know, that's been a slow process in the making. But, you know, we still have, a, for the most part, a, a you know, a retributive justice system. Mm, definitely. That's interesting that you said about um, the Indigenous. So I actually, I completely forgot. Because obviously, yeah, I didn't know the, the Indigenous, even though they have their own sort of independent, not to say independent, well, yeah, kind of. Obviously, I don't know the complete understanding of Canadian history, but Indigenous groups have their own political system don't they i think right 
So I didn't know. Yeah, well, they had some, they they had things before you know Europeans came here. You know, they, yeah, they governed themselves somehow. They yeah, they had yeah. crime and they they worked out ways to to, to solve it. Hmm. It's just that their school, models yeah. largely didn't involve you know compartmentalizing those people and just keeping them locked up. Yeah. In fact, moving to away from those models and breaking up those communities is is largely understood to be causing a lot of harm to these to uh, indigenous communities because they're not able to you know their their culture is so focused on on community and and being connected with other people and moving towards a more atomized individualist model is you know is is incompatible and it can yeah. be harmful. Completely, um, definitely, um, yeah, hundred percent. I feel like we've kind of answered the question about is restorative justice a widely used concept? I think we kind of answered that question, haven't we? It's kind of, it seems like it's quite, it seems like it's widely used and it's kind of becoming used, but obviously it's a very slow process, isn't it? Would you say? Yeah, it's a, it's a long process. I mean, there's yeah, a lot yeah. of reasons why, there's a lot of factors into why, you know, we have the systems we, or why we still have the systems we have now. Mm. Why is that? Do you think? Well, if you take the American example, they've they have um, many. They have you know been privatizing their prisons, mm -hmm. yep. and so they have. Um, well, they have that profit incentive. They have to make sure that these businesses, these prisons, are profitable one way or another, mm. and that's partially done by you know. They are, the government pays, you know, per number of inmates and, they're, and many of their contracts are required to maintain a certain level of capacity yeah, in these prisons. Yeah. And these prisons are also incentivized to, therefore, you know, if they want to make more profit, they want to, you know, extract as much wealth as they possibly can from each individual inmate while keeping each individual cost low. And, you know, um, if that means keeping them there for longer or for having as, you know, or over uh, filling their prisons then they'll do that because that's what makes it profitable mm, definitely no it's, it's a it's a prison system that's driven by what makes you know the board of directors the most money rather than you know the best interests of the, the inmates yeah absolutely and also i was about to touch on an idea called well prison labor as well we haven't even touched on that i think that's another idea which is pretty important to also argue because it's the fact that also other companies, not just prison companies themselves, that profit from the mass incarceration of uh, US citizens, but it's also the fact that companies such as Starbucks, McDonald's, Whole Foods used to be part of this, um, uh, Walmart as well, and they were actually using uh, inmates to actually do their own services. So even those mass companies outside of the prison system is using prison labor as well. So it's the fact that like, they actually have to have, they actually need prisoners to go into, sorry, need prisoners to go into prisons um, to do prison labor as well. So that's another whole idea. Yeah. The other thing is, is um, in most states, um, you felons lose the right to vote. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So if you, so that, but let's say, okay, so let's say there's a group of people in your country that you don't, you know, that some people don't want to vote. So then they, they recently got the right to vote and they don't, you don't want them voting. So how do you stop them from voting? Oh, you put them in this one special institution that temporarily suspends their right to vote and then just systematically keep more of those people in that institution than every other group of people. 
the fact it's um, it's a way of disenfranchising, you know, people of color in the country. They're if they're if they're vastly disproportionately represented in these prison systems, then that means they're sent and they're you know if they have a sixty percent rate of you know returning, that means year over year, you know, a lot of those people aren't actually able to you know vote and you know participate in politics. Mm, Absolutely, able to you know have a a political system that you know represents them and their communities hmm. yeah completely it's um it's an absolutely pretty screwed up um concept the fact that even if you served your time in prison okay you're you don't you do your time it's like with george floyd for example i apparently i don't know if this is completely true or not so apparently he had a few so he did some he did some time in prison apparently but the fact of the matter was he served his time did all everything right but as he comes out and he wasn't able to vote and this is like many other people from color uh, people of color from other communities as well have that same fate they're not allowed to vote after they've served time in prison which makes zero sense because Mm. you know how can you take someone's right to vote you know if you served your time you're now back into society you've then you know again and then then it creates this whole complete utter like reoffending as well because Let's say if prison labor, let's say, for example, you go into prison, okay, you do some work and you do some labor and you were paid a fair, a fair wage, you were treated like a worker, then this whole idea of prison labor wouldn't be a huge issue. But it's the fact that in prison labor, you get paid literally less than, like sometimes 90 cents or to a $4, which is under the minimum wage. You don't get certain workers' rights because in certain laws, I think in the US, you can't, like prisons aren't part of these prison laws. So no, part of labor laws, sorry. Um, and you know, they, they're, they're stuck in absolute awful conditions to actually work in. So it's the fact there's no real, you know, there's no real kind of rehabilitation to go back into society. So that then creates this reoffending. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's just this whole kind of cycle, which is crazy. And that's why I think, you know, maybe looking into restorative justice is a very good idea to look into. However, I think how we've kind of described it sounds very positive, you know, through the likes of Scandinavia, how they've done it and how they've created less reoffending. Um, does this type of justice, though, have any sort of flaws, though, would you say? I would say that depends on your conception of justice. You know, if, you, if your idea of justice is an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, then, you know, and if you think the focus should be on punishment, that, you know, people who do wrong need to be punished, yeah. Then, yeah. Then, like, yeah. Restorative justice is going to have flaws for you. But if you think, and yeah, if you think that people who commit crimes aren't, you know, fundamentally bad people, they don't. That people don't do crimes because they're bad people, but because they made, you know, bad choices for a number of extenuating circumstances. And if you think that you know they should at least be treated with dignity, then yeah, you're going to. Um, it might not have as many flaws. No, it's not going to completely eliminate crime, but it's going to, you know, it depends on what we even conceive of as crime. What is, you know, why do people act and, you know, um, in asocial ways? Yeah. Well, so that's, I'm going to look into, for example, in the US, um, 80% of of arrests nationwide are for low level offenses. Now, do we think 
that low level offences are, it, it really depends on what you then define what low level offences are. Like, is it really at harmful to society? It's like, I don't know, let's say, I don't know, someone was smoking like weed or I don't know, doing a counterfeit of a $20 bill, even though that's, a, that's an offence, that's an offence or a crime. It's like, it depends on how you define it as a low well, level or high level. It depends on what we conceive of as crimes. You know, a lot yeah. of these low level crimes are going to be things like vagrancy, loitering, you know, yeah. indecent conduct. Um, mm. You know, I don't know, you, you swore in a church on, to, on a Sunday. You know, that <laughs> yeah. depends on what kind of things are on the books and, you know, what we even conceive of as, as a crime. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, if you, you know, even this, like, social mores can change. You know, if a woman went out uh, topless today, she might get a talk to from, um, you know, from an officer. But, you know, 40 years ago, if she just went down the street, you know, that might be a bit different. Yeah, so, the, so it's now talking about, like, values now. So the fact, like, cultural values are going to change as well. That's what justice is. Justice mm -hmm. is a cultural value. And so it all depends on, you know, what we focus on and what we what we want you know if we if we think of justice is you know giving people what they deserve and that people who do bad things are you know are sinful and need to be punished because you know you have that you know you have a religious worldview and that and that of a one where you know the good get you know blessings the bad will be punished and burn in hell you know then yeah we're going to you're going to think of justice in that kind of way and what you think of as, as decent conduct. Yeah, of course. So it seems like... Talking badly about the king. Yeah, it seems like we might need... I don't know if this will ever be achieved, though, is like one... Like, what do we agree on justice? Like, what is the universe... Like, what is a universal definition of justice within a country? Because it seems like we have... Because what you've mentioned, you have two different types of people. You have people who think justice is to, you know literally like for an eye for an eye type of justice which sometimes with the us like you know for, the, for example the death penalty that is used that's one idea or you have the other which is trying to rehabilitate can't say that word but yeah in that sense so you have the two types different types of justices and maybe we need to find a way to either maybe use both types of justices and try and create one concrete definition of what we mean by justice and maybe treat certain crimes. Yeah, if you know what I'm trying to say. I don't know, in that way. Well, I mean, philosophers have been trying to, you know, create universal values for a long time. And a lot of philosophers have concluded that that's, um, point, that, that's you know, you can't do that. Can't do that, yeah. No, of course, because everyone's going to have a different conception, 100%. Um, actually, going, going back to um, the idea of... Um, restorative justice um i know there's a there's a big flaw i think with this kind of concept is do you you know you remember when in, i think it was in scandinavia so in one of the scandinavian countries i think it might be norway where there was a mass shooting from someone who killed it's like 80 like a good like a lot of people on island can't remember the guy's name now if you know it no i don't know any shootings in scandinavia no? Okay. So I can't remember the guy's name, but this guy basically shot around, on this island, around 80 people, I think. Um, and it was a mass shooting or a terrorist. I wouldn't say a mass shooting, I'd say, let's say it's a terrorist attack. Um, 
and the fact that yeah he was then got sent to prison to these prisons in like Scandinavia where he was then treating him pretty much trying to rehabilitate him pretty much so the question is do we can we rehabilitate everyone you know can we rehabilitate, rehabilitate terrorists or you know pedophiles for example like can we do that or do we need a different way of treating those people you know so it's that's that's another big flaw i think from that system well again it goes back to that question of do people do bad things because they're fundamentally bad people mm-hmm. and if they are fundamentally bad can they be changed can they be changed yeah of course like that's if if you if you dismiss someone as being you know irreparably you know irreparable they can't they're you know, insalvageable yeah then yeah then all you can really do is either you know either lock them up or or resort to the death penalty mm, of course but for the most part you know like you said previously like only five percent of cases are at most um are actually violent offenses mm. like it doesn't like for the most of what crime is like I don't, yeah, I'm still somewhat uh, to the idea of, I think there might be at some point someone, you know, some serial killer or something so that, you know, to the point where they might have be, um, you know, might have so many issues to the point where it might not be safe to keep for the rest of society for them to be out. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that it might not be worth. Um, at least trying to help. Yeah, at least trying to help, or that or that doesn't also mean that the you know that still doesn't mean that they should deserve to be, you know, locked up in in solitude and you know, in those kind of conditions for the rest of their life. Absolutely, that's the thing. I think that's the bigger question. I think we need to think: Can we actually treat everyone, you know, who whoever's committed any any type of crime, if it's mm. some as very very serious, like someone you know, mass shooting or being a terrorist, right? Or, but even if it doesn't work yeah. for these, you know, small, you know, fraction of a percentage of cases, is that mm-hmm. enough to, you know, discredit the entire model? That's the thing. Yeah, it is, it is a very good question. But I think this kind of naturally leads us, I think, to a really big question. Do we actually need prison at all? You know, so there's this big movement, uh, which is the prison abolition movement. Um, so yeah, John, do you want to explain what, is this movement what this movement wants to try and do well it's trying to do just that it's trying to abolish prisons um, yes. as as an institution um so uh, a black scholar in the united states dorothy roberts um says that it has um in the prison movement in the united states has three basic theses which is that today's carceral system can be traced back to slavery and the ca- racial capitalist regime that it relied on and sustained. Mm-hmm. The expanding criminal punishment system for, uh, functions to oppress black people and other politically marginalized groups in order to maintain the racial capitalist system. And third, lastly, that we can imagine and build a more humane and democratic society that no longer relies on caging people to meet human needs and to solve social problems. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So it's basically saying a lot of what we've been kind of saying before is that the prison system in the United States largely functions to, you know, try to fix America's social problems, which is to take poor people, lock them up, and then exploit them for as much, you know, value as you possibly can. Yeah. Treating them as essentially a kind of, you know, basically legal slavery because, you know, it is permitted in the 
in that one constitutional clause. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah absolutely. Because I was reading a really interesting article, actually, um, by the, it's, it's by the Nation, and the, the author is John Washington, which is what is prisoner abolition. Um, and yeah, it's basically touched on what you've been saying. It's trying to have a lot more deeper reforms, um, like addressing issues such as poverty, addiction, homelessness, mental health crisis as well. So it's it's not just just tearing down these prisons, but trying to create and build a much more uh, equitable or equal society in that way, in that sense as well. So it's, yeah, it's very, very interesting. Um, And then it also went in in depth about like the three pillars of um, abolition. So which is includes uh, Mori Atrium, which is like stop, stop, basically stop building prisons, stop building cages. Moratorium? Yes, that's it, that word. I can't, I can't speak today, so bad. (laughs) And then it's basically, I think we said incarceration and then excarceration as well. Um, Do you know a bit more about these three pillars of this idea? No, I don't. Do you not? Okay, because this is the thing, I just read from this kind of article basically talking about it. So it was kind of very interesting kind of looking into it. Um, So yeah, pretty much in that sense. So, um, yeah. And does, would you say this kind of movement, does it kind of hold any sort of weight in the current discourse, do you think? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's been around since the mid-70s, so it's, and it's been moderately influential, at least in trying to get some prison reforms and better improvements for, for prisoners. You know, I think it hasn't even been 20 years since um, prisoners gained the right to vote in Canada. Um, oh really? Didn't know that. Yeah, I think they got it in the early two thousands. Interesting. Okay. I don't know. I don't know if the UK has got the same law in place. I don't know. I need to double check that. Mm-hmm. But, um, um, but it's definitely getting more traction, especially uh, lately. It just it goes hand in hand with um, it goes it, you know pl- uh, prison abolition goes hand in hand with police abolition. Yeah. Oops, sorry about that. <laughs> Yeah, no, definitely. Um, no, it's interesting, 100%. Because um, that's interesting, the fact that that's, this movement's been here, what, since the 1970s? And it's already kind of tried to create some sort of reform, which is kind of, well, which is really interesting. Well, it doesn't want reform, it wants well, abolition. Yeah, abolition, sorry, not reform. Yeah, but, okay, that's what I mean. Like trying to go towards the abolition um, in that sense. Just, I'm actually just double checking if UK are allowed to vote actually oh yes yeah prisoners are actually allowed so in the uk yeah we are allowed to so uk prisoners are allowed to vote actually so that's since, interesting. since when um so this was since may 2015 so the house of commons briefing analyzed the debate over the voting rights prisoners since may 2015 okay so like five years ago so, so around five years ago i believe so that's interesting i think so better late than never absolutely no 100 percent um definitely um yeah i mean have you have you ever been inside a prison no like even just as like a visit no never i went to one there's um there's one nearby um in dorchester 
where I where I went on a, on a little tour, just where they take you know the public in to show um, them like you know what prisons are like, and it's just weird. Yeah, like it's just really weird just to go in there and to see like people in these you know in their little in their cells and you know it's yeah. it's kind of like their cage and it's really weird and it was just so strange to just you know stand there and look into their cells yeah because you know none of them i know it was none of them consented to it like no one like none of them can is like imagine if someone took a cross section of your house and then people just walked by and just you know could just look in and just see what you're doing and just you know you don't have any you can't you don't have any consent over you know what what people you know people get to like look at you strangers yeah that is really i'm sure i'm sure they all knew that people were there and they do let um um they do let you put things um like cover the door um if you want and if to have some privacy but it's just really weird just to you know kind of be there and just to like you know look at these people it was kind of like a, like a zoo for people yeah no exactly it definitely sounds like that I've, i've kind of i haven't been into like a live prison like maybe you have um i've mm-hmm. been i've just been to like you know prehistoric buildings of of prisons i don't know i don't know if that kind of counts but i've been into like those prehistoric kind of things and they they are built historical so prisons yeah, yeah yeah like i went one i went to one in philadelphia i believe mm-hmm. um in 26 no 2018 sorry um and yeah i was it was kind of quite a yeah it was a really kind of interesting um you know expedition and looking into like how small prisons are it's it's just crazy to think actually um, and the way you're describing it is, is a very, very weird mm-hmm. concept. A very, very weird concept. Um, and it's like I've seen prisons on TV, for example, as well. And they like, again, it, it, it looks like a really weird concept. I actually know, also I know a family, not like a close family member, but like one of my parents' friends' uh, son also works in a prison. And he says it's like a very, quite a weird experience, quite tough as well um as well so it's 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 like the whole kind of idea is yeah incredibly kind of crazy weird mm-hmm. so um indefinitely and um yeah i know in the uk for example that we've been there's been a lot of talk around prisons so for example i think most of some of our prisons are actually in overloading as well um like likewise with the us because we've got as i've mentioned the biggest uh, prison population in europe um and a lot of like an increase of you know suicides increase of mental health issues and you know i think <clears throat> that's when i think we're going to maybe going too far into the idea of yeah punishing these people and not actually trying to treat them like human beings um and it also you know relates back to our idea of like prison labor like why are we making these prisoners um be paid you know less than four dollars a day where they are basically human beings even though they've committed about a crime depending on what the crime is they are still human beings so that that kind of idea is we need to kind of think about it so mm-hmm. yeah i think it's kind of naturally kind of leads us to kind of like our last kind of question is kind of uh, what is the future of the justice and prison system do you think well i would say that the the future of it is 
um, an expansion of you know rights for prisoners and you know movement away from prisons in, 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 in total. You know they're they're antiquated and they're an ineffective, inhumane way to deal with crime and social issues. And yeah. you know I can only really think of a future where we still have prisons like today is going to be you know a fascist dystopia. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, I definitely think I kind of agree with you in that sense. Like we might not in the future. Obviously, it'll be a very a long process, but we might be going towards what we're talking about. Um, the restorative justice position going away from punishing people to actually trying to rehabilitate people um, or with this prison abolition movement is trying to do completely abolish prisons completely we might have that world um, well they go hand in hand you know you oh, have yeah. to like you don't you still have to deal with like, you abolish prisons but you still need something to replace it and what you replace it with is a more restorative model Hmm, interesting. Okay, fair enough. Rather than like two separate things. Okay, that's understood. Okay. Yeah, well, prison abolition is just, you know, just to get rid of prisons. You still need, you know, how do you deal with, with crime in, in that point? You still need to deal with it somehow. Yeah, of course. Of course it's course, not course. saying, you know, uh, an it's not asking for, you know, lawless anarchy. Just let's deal with, favorite. let's just, let's yeah. deal with people who commit crimes in a more humane way. Yeah, that was the thing. So I was kind of, looking into this idea maybe it's the same idea with like defunding the police so you look at it first and you think or the abolition of the police and you think oh it's completely no police lawless and i thought at first like this idea of prison abolition where you have no prisons but obviously you need something you need something obviously a different concept hmm. in prison let's just say that yeah that's yeah or a different way to deal with with crime just as you need someone you need diff, you need you still need someone to you know deal with with you know, enforcing the law, but maybe it needs to be a different institution than than police. And mm -hmm. so, just as we need someone to deal, um, a different institution to deal with wrongdoing than prisons, you know, we just need a different institution. We don't need um, we just no, we don't. It's not that we don't need them at all or anything. Of course, yeah, absolutely. No, it's interesting. Definitely, definitely. Um, and also, I was about to say before we go to our week signal, COVID has actually kind of impacted prison systems as well so i was reading an article by it was on govern, governing by alex Fiensky, which is what a pandemic can teach us about the future of criminal justice and basically it was so in new uh, so we outlined a jail in new york city that was called new york city's rikers island jail and the rate of infection happened to be six times higher than the city overall in terms of covid so the fact that jails are these kind of hotspots for right now for COVID, it shows that maybe we need to look at the conditions as well for jails. Obviously, we've been talking about how kind of weird, but obviously you, you're speaking about your experience, how jails are quite a little bit weird. Um, but the fact is we might need to not pack our jails in such a way that we're doing right now, like the US or the UK or Canada. So it shows that COVID also poses a threat. So yeah, I just wanted to add that in as well. But yeah, do you have anything else to add um, to this conversation? Um, no, just, yeah, prison's bad. <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough. Cool, cool, cool. All right, let's uh, go to our week signal then. Um, I'll go first, as usual. So I found a really good week signal that was published by Stanford University, which is a 
desalination device, which can turn brine into useful chemicals. Desalination. So, oh, the dis. Uh, how do you spell it? Sorry. Desalination. 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 Okay. Desalination. Cool. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so it's a new device that's able to convert seawater into fresh water and use any waste for useful chemicals. So the reason why it's such a good big signal is that it stops the need to dispose any harmful chemicals into local ecosystems. So these kind of plants uh, produce 27 billion gallons of drinking water, which is more than a daily total use by all US households. So it's a lot of water. Um, however, the traditional approach of trying to separate, you know, seawater to fresh water it can be very costly and it requires a lot of energy um, and it also actually produces about one and a half times more brine than portable water and so the research was trying to create and test a device that splits the compounds of brine by a process called electrochemical water salt splitting so in this way it was able to separate the brine into positively charged sodium and negatively charged chlorine ions using the electrochemical cell. And then when the bounds are then broken, sodium and chlorine combine with other elements to form new chemicals, which include sodium hydroxide, hydrogen, and hydrochloric acid. And those, and those three chemicals can be used in products such as um, a variety of different like products. So for example, sodium hydroxides can be used for soap, paper, aluminium, detergents, and explosives. So in this way, this device is able to kind of um, cut the brine disposal costs um, as this can actually uh, contribute up to a third of total desalination, kind of say that word, but you know what I'm trying to say, um, expenses and avoid damaging environmental impacts. Um, so in this way, it can just basically use any of the waste and turn it into chemicals, which I think is a really, really cool idea. Um, it was noted though within the study that it might, these chemical solutions were not that were not suitable for commercial use due to it being more diluted. However, this is, can be a step towards devices that enable energy and cost efficiency. So yeah, again, really, really interesting big signal that I found this week. So yeah, what do you think about this, John? Yeah, it's good. Any way we can um, increase access to fresh water is always um, is always good, especially as um, you know most of the water in the world is. Um, is salt yeah and most serious. countries don't have like okay canada has like most of the world's fresh water so like we're okay here but the rest of you aren't no of course not. so <laughs> you guys need this uk we do need this yeah <laughs> i mean actually we're near like the river thames and stuff but i think we probably do need it <laughs> but do you really want to drink out of the thames of course not i, <laughs> <laughs> I might die for that of course i'll die yeah. for that <laughs> but I know you mean no I think this is a really cool week signal um, and yeah definitely good for use for other countries definitely so yeah what kind of uh, sorry what's your week signal then John yeah uh, I got mine is about uh, eco-friendly bendable concrete mm, interesting so scientists at uh, Swinburne University in Australia have developed and improved a method of creating uh, flexible concrete so it's taking inspiration from um, ancient Roman concrete. It uses fly ash, which is a byproduct of uh, burning coal, and mixed it with the uh, synthetic fibers. And these yeah. uh, polymer fibers allow the, con um, allow the concrete um, 
to make uh, or withstand multiple, you know, hair size fractures without breaking the structure, and it eliminated the need to to heat the mixture to cure it. So this uh, results in concrete that consumes 36 less percent energy to uh, to create, and has a 76 percent smaller uh, carbon footprint, and is 400 percent uh, or 400 times more bendable than conventional concrete. Which is uh, which is pretty good because concrete has a really um, heavy environmental impact. It constitutes up to eight percent of global carbon emissions, yeah. and it's responsible for up to ten percent of industrial water usage. And its production has increased fourfold since the nineteen nineties as countries in Asia and Africa develop. You know, yeah. China used more concrete and you know, from 2011 to 2013 than the U.S. did in the entire 20th century. So we need, you know, better ways to make concrete. Oh, absolutely. Wow, that's a mad statistic then about China. That's Plus, a crazy statistic. Um, you also need to make more, you also need to make more resilient um, buildings. It's estimated that property damage in, in a, a modeled 7.3 magnitude earthquake in Vancouver would cost just over, over eight billion, you know, and that's just the property damage alone. So, you know, making buildings that you know don't collapse after an earthquake can definitely make it a lot more, more um, you know, a lot more tolerable. It can make the um, you know, the response more manageable. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, like certain houses won't be destroyed by you know these ma mass massive like well by these national disasters. Uh, yeah, it makes the yeah. it reduces the footprint of the overall industry and reduces the need for uh, for reconstruction. Absolutely, yeah, no, hundred percent, definitely. No, it sounds pretty interesting. This um, because, of course, concrete is always um, is always it's, it's been used a lot by you know loads of houses, but and buildings. But unfortunately, the way it's produced isn't the best way. So I think definitely this weak signal sounds very interesting. I think it sounds a very good way of looking forward um, to using concrete, but not having such a bad environmental damage to it. Um, anyway, yeah, thank you, John, for coming in having this conversation um, about the justice and prison system. Um, we're going to, yep, so that was a really good conversation. Um, and also about our weak signals as well. So, yeah, very, very good. Um, you can stay, stay tuned for next week as we've got another episode coming up. Uh, you can check out our last few episodes on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Um, until next week, have a good week. Thank you, guys. Bye.